The Probe Dental Podcast is presented by the Dental Awards. The Dental Awards is the original and most respected awards programme in British dentistry. 2021 marks the 22nd anniversary of the event, and over the decades it has recognised the outstanding individuals and teams whose commitment and drive continue to raise standards throughout the profession. The Dental Awards is attended each year by more than 600 clinicians. Winning or being a finalist is a tremendous accolade, and provides a massive publicity boost to the profile of your practice and your team. After all, who wouldn't want to be treated by the dentist or dental team of the year? For more information about entering the 2021 Dental Awards, please visit theprobe.co.uk slash awards. That's T-H-E hyphen P-R-O-B-E dot co.uk slash awards. everybody and welcome to episode 6 of the Probe Dental Podcast. I am James Cook and I'm very excited to bring another show to you today. Uh, this will be our series finale for now, uh, 6 episodes in season 1 in total. If you haven't listened to them all, go back and uh, check out some of the other conversations we've had. Uh, also don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Although we're taking a short break, it will be short and we'll be back with more great content for you soon, so stay tuned. Um, but today, in this episode, I'll be speaking with a familiar face to regular readers of the Probe magazine, one of our regular contributors, Lisa Bainham. Lisa trained to be a dental nurse at North Staffordshire Hospital and qualified in 1994. Originally working in an orthodontic practice, she soon developed an interest in practice management and would join Steve Lomas as the practice manager at the Old Surgery Dental Practice in Crewe from when it opened back in 1998 position she holds to this day. Many will also have heard Lisa's name due to the fact that she is the president of ADAM, the Association of Dental Administrators and Managers, which provides support for and represents all members of the dental administration team. In this conversation we discuss Lisa's background, what ADAM does to support its members, how practices can learn to deal with the difficult conversations they may be having at the moment uh, with both staff and patients in this post-Covid world, uh, as well as what they can do to bounce back. Uh, it's a very good conversation. Uh, There's a lot of great points made by Lisa. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy it. I certainly learnt a lot. So without any more delay, let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Lisa Bainham. Hello, Lisa. How are you? Hi, James. Really good, thank you. Nice to talk to you. I know. It's so good to see, you know, kind of faces, even if I can't meet anyone in person. Yeah, it's true. So how are you getting on at the moment? Uh, where are you at with lockdown? Are you are you kind of back to work? Yeah, um, we pretty much opened um, or started opening on the 8th of June. Um, started off really slowly, slowly built it up. We're, we're at the point where we're kind of about every day we've got three practices, three surgeries running. Um, and they rotate around eight rooms, which we are very lucky because we're able to do that. I know there's a lot of people that, um, with you know smaller capacity, aren't able to do it. So the fallow time is becoming a massive problem. Um, so yeah, we kind of we've been unfurloughing people and creeping and going. So you know, making sure that we're doing the right amount of productivity that is going to cover somebody's wages when they come back. Um, you know, in the last few months, it hasn't been about making a profit at all. It's been about just surviving, really. 
So it's just, just doing everything, no guesswork, just looking at all the figures and looking at what we can do and how we can get back the quickest we can and most efficiently, really. So, so tell us, uh, yeah, rewinding a bit, tell us a bit about your background in dentistry and uh, obviously your current role uh, working for, for ADAM, the Association of Dental Administrators and Managers. You've got it right. <laughs> <laughs> Not many do, actually. Uh, yeah, so um, I've been in dentistry about 24 years now. Um, I started off as a dental nurse and um, qualified, but realised that I actually really didn't enjoy it massively. I liked I liked working in a dental practice but the whole clinical side for me was just I just didn't have the stomach for it at all. Um so I was gravitating towards more of a business role. Um so I took a couple of years out to become a um work alongside a practice manager and business manager in a GP surgery. So from there I got loads of skills. I also inherited my absolute dislike for bad customer service and bad reception skills, which <laughs> there was quite a lot in the practice I was in, loved them to bits, but yeah, so the GP practice put me in place to try and train the team to not be doctors, receptionist types, and I, I kind of found a bit of a flair for it, and I also helped them become computerised, which 20, you know, 20 years ago or so was quite a new thing. Um, so yeah, from there I then got approached to um, become practice manager in a new setup um, just around the corner. Um, so I took the opportunity um, and that's it. Yeah, so February 98 we opened with no patients and there was me, Steve Lomas, the practice owner, and one nurse and now we're a team of 42 um, with two practices, eight surgeries. And a lot of stress, basically. <laughs> but it's fun, it's nice. And then I started working with Adam um, about three or four years ago now to uh, realise that when I was when I first started, um, it was I felt quite isolated and really did not know what I was doing at all. So I learned a lot from mistakes, and I always felt quite young to be in the role. So I wanted to. Um, I know that I approached a practice managers association when I was starting off and I felt really intimidated and didn't feel like I could ask the questions that I wanted to. So my thing with Adam was to make it so, you know, these people that do need you feel comfortable saying, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing, please help. And they're not going to be judged or made to feel, you know, inferior. So that's been my theory with Adam all along. So. And we've got loads of new sponsors on board that so all our members get like loads of perks um from hr to compliance to you know and a lot of them met, just message me direct as well you know we've got about 700 members you know and i've got a few that just <laughs> i feel like the therapist sometimes but it's it's fine as long as they've got someone to go to because there's a lot of forums out there um on facebook especially where people are going on and asking for um, an employee's contract template and it's a case of, has anyone got a template on? Oh yeah, I'll share you mine. And it's like, <laughs> no, you can't do that. You are not a solicitor. You <laughs> cannot take that responsibility. You cannot trust that Karen off Facebook's templates right. So I just wanted to make sure that the information that we are giving and um, the support we're giving people is 
genuine, which is why I work with a lot of really lovely people, such as, you know, FTA Law, um, so HR Advice, um, Chris Barrow, you know, people that I use myself as a practice manager because I can't recommend people for something that I don't use. And all these people then got on board as sponsors. So it's, yeah, it's, it's like a big happy family. Brilliant. You, you've just mentioned a couple of other podcast episode guests. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, just just a little plug for everyone to go back and listen to those if they haven't already. Um, but you you mentioned um, I think when you start first started in GP surgery, you got a taste of kind of bad customer service reception work. Did you have any any good examples that you can give us? <laughs> I think we've all got examples when you pick the phone up to your GP surgery. Yes. <laughs> I hate to stereotype it, and I'm sure not everyone's the same. I'm sure, there's some lovely ones, but they get a bad rep, and sometimes it's for a good reason but there are you know everyone's different and you know there are good and bad in dental practices um and when i go into practices and the dentist said you know can you come in and ha- i don't know what's going wrong we're getting bad you know reviews um i'm not getting patients booked in you know small things that they can't always see what you know what's in front of them so i'll kind of go in and you know, quite often I can spot what the problem is straight away. And it's not a case of going in and pointing fingers. It's kind of, okay, so who are we using for what role? For me, you know, reception is everything. It doesn't matter how wonderful your dentist is. If they do not answer that phone correctly and convert that call into a, an appointment in the diary, it doesn't matter how good the dentist is. So having your cheapest staff member answering the phone just, you know, it's just ridiculous. You know, it's got to be from the moment they pick that phone up, they have to know what that phone call could be worth in terms of money or patient, you know, uh, longevity. Um, so, yeah, from, from reception to then to TCO um, to, you know, going into the dentist, if you have a dentist that then is being given this patient and they don't manage to convert it to a treatment plan, you know what's going on there so it's a lot of people management and patient journey that needs to be looked at every step of the way and sometimes you know there's a little chink in the chain and it needs just to be sort of flattened out a little bit and streamlined and um i think my approach isn't isn't heavy-handed but it is quite direct and firm but i want to i work with the practices to get the best out of them i don't just go in and tell them i think that's that's important and I think the the feedback I get is that practices find me relatable because I am actually doing the job right I'm not somebody that's going in and saying well you do this and you do that and it's like how do you know because you know you've got to respect the fact everybody knows their own practices better than anyone else so one size doesn't fit all and it's a matter of getting to know people which I think is really important I think it's interesting, you kind of touched on a point there about how receptionists are maybe um, underappreciated. I mean, at the end of the day, first impressions count for everything. And that's essentially what a receptionist is. That's the first point of contact for a lot of customers, potential customers. So, yeah, absolutely. I also like the fact you said that, you know, there's no, no judgment there in terms of if people, you know, mem- potential me- uh, members of Adam don't know what they're doing. Um, obviously everyone's got to start somewhere so that's great I mean obviously to have something I I guess to be welcoming like that I mean what how exactly would you you've touched on it already but how would you summarize what Adam is and what it does 
I think it's it's a practice management support group where people can confidentially ask questions and ask for support and the big difference is that they know that they are getting the correct advice. None of our sponsors or partners um, are paid to do that. It's it's there's no monetary gain. Yeah, okay, so some people then go on to use their services more. Um, but again, like I say, it's people that I can trust. Um, and I've come across a lot of people over my 20 odd years. Um, and you know, there's, there's good and bad, but I feel like I'm not saying that my, my opinion and my you know decisions are the best, but I can put my hand on my heart and trust the people I work with to do my HR or to do my compliance and things. And um, you know, in these sectors, you know, this these hats that practice managers have to wear, so marketing, HR, personnel, you know, shoulder to cry on, um, mum, you know, all these, you know, it's a bit stereotypical, but you know you know, accountant even, you know, all these hats that PMs wear, you aren't an expert in any of those fields. So you have to do your job and do those jobs. But you've got a drawing from the professionals in those sectors. There is no way you should be responsible or be made responsible for, uh, you know, an employment law um, scenario. You know, it's just impossible. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on PMs. So we like to be think of ourselves as the ones that they can come to and kind of go, this is happening. And, you know, we try and help them unravel things a little bit and straighten things out. And so, obviously, if, if dental administrator or manager currently isn't a member, but they're considering it, what, what benefits do they get exactly? Um, they can, um, obviously, we have magazines that go out regularly. We do e-shots. Um, these are all these all have input for me and a few other of our mentors who are doing the job you have to you can't be a member if you're not doing the job so it's what's relevant at the time you know um so they get relevant timely support um they also get access to a free hr helpline from sarah from fta law um they get discounts from a huge number of um companies dental companies for materials insurance uh patient finance there's there's just an endless list of people and it's it's lovely because over the last couple of years instead of me going out trying to persuade sponsors to come and work with us they now come to us and want to be you know want to support adam because they know that they we've got these decent great members that want to be even better so they want to help them sort of get get involved in that um so yeah um, they get access to regional courses that we put on um, usually <laughs> um, so we've got a load of webinars set up as well um, they also um, what else do they get um, they get help colleagues so the, this, they get access to the forum where they can ask these confidential questions that aren't in public um, or aren't even in not so much public but um, other dental groups where there's a little bit of a culture of somebody says something and people jump on them which is just, you know, ridiculous. But, um, yeah, and, you know, I do believe that as a professional, if you are a member of your professional body, it means a lot. Of, it, it says a lot about you. You know, so, you know, obviously different people. I'm not saying be a girl guide and things like that, but it's just being part of it makes your role more valid. 
and makes people sort of think of practice managers, you know, um, in a better light because there's some that there's some practices that you know I, I know a lot of practices that are furloughed that practice managers, and I don't know how the why you've furloughed them and um, you know there's a lot of reports about. Um, dentists have furloughed practice managers maybe because they've had to or they just wanted to and they've run the practice themselves and then there's a there's two camps there's one camp that's basically gone oh bloody hell how much does my practice manager do get her off furlough quick um, and then there's another camp that has basically gone wow look at my practice manager look what she's done um, I need to pay more attention and get more involved to help her so it's there's positives come out of most of it. There's a few that um, whose dentists are furlough practice managers, and then um, who's basically gone back into the surgeries now that we can treat patients, and basically gone there you go. Uh, so, how have you been supporting members during COVID in particular? Um, it's been it's been quite difficult because there's a fine line between being supportive, you know, during. A lot of the lockdown, you know, like I say, there were some managers that had been furloughed um, and some hadn't, some, you know, we, we were all sort of flapping about, not really knowing what was going to happen, just trying to keep things going. So we were, a lot of managers were still doing, you know, compliance and checking in with their teams, making sure that their teams were okay. Um, then you've got managers that, um, were furloughed but struggling because they were you know they used to manage in the practice so that was quite stressful for some people um so yeah um I, our members know that we're only at the end of the phone and it isn't a you have to call between this time you know if anybody around that phone and was like i'm really struggling you know me and the other regional managers would always take the time to support them um it's difficult because as managers you kind of get a little bit left because you're you're the manager, so you're running around making sure your team's okay, and you're kind of like, well, who's looking after you? And I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, my principals are just they, they I've worked with them twenty odd years now, so they kind of, did they know I say if I'm not okay? But they, they were looking after me as well. But you know, trying to take on so much responsibility is really, really, really difficult and. The amount of work that is going on in practices now is horrific. We're doing eight to eight shifts. Um, my girls, you know, so, and you know, when they're doing AGPs and they've got those masks on all day, um, I, I, I really feel for them. But, you know, quite often, unfortunately, practice managers do kind of, you sort of think, are you okay? Because if you're not okay, they're not going to be okay. So let's make sure you're okay. So that is quite a lot. I, I did a few articles that I found, found that really important to make sure, but, you know, but how are you and how are you really? Don't say you're okay if you're not. So, yeah, it was, it's all been quite traumatic, really, hasn't it? It's, it's a funny thing with human nature, isn't it? Um, you kind of ask someone, especially, I guess, during that, you kind of had the beginning of lockdown and you had a lull. I think everyone just, you know, it kind of really started to hit people mentally. And you you kind of see like a you know someone like you know obviously from a distance we'd say how are you, and they'd automatically go oh, I'm all right, and then they'd pause like no not really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's I think that's the really important thing. It's like um, 
Sarah Buxton from FTA Law had said before, we were about to do a course before this all happened, and it was about employment law, because quite often it's quite a tricky tricky subject, um, especially if you're dealing with like disciplinaries and things like that. Um, so we were running a course on how to have those difficult conversations, how to do it. Um, and we've got in a therapist, um, a counsellor, um, that used to be a dental therapist with me actually about 15 years ago, um, who then went back to uni because she hated doing it as well. Um, and she was coming along, so we were running a course um, for that reason, you know, what you do as a manager is actually really quite stressful on a lot of levels, especially when it comes to managing people. So, uh, yeah, we also had, um, we were doing weekly webinars, so Zoom meetings and having a couple of different guests on every week. Um, people just joined us and threw loads of questions at us. And, yeah, I think that I think people really enjoyed that because they felt like there was somebody at the end of it actually listening. So, yeah, that went down really well. So I would like to start those again, really. Really, making more of a regular thing. I mean, so obviously there have been a lot of practices learning uh, to deal with difficult conversations with patients and employees. I mean, employees. Um, yeah, what, what advice would you give to them? It's, it's, it is really difficult. Um, I think the main thing is to try and just... You, you've got to say it, and it's just, you know, these are people you've worked with sometimes for a long time. Kind of just go, look... I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable about this, so I want to sit down because I want to make sure we we both, you know, get time to talk about what we need to talk about, and then we come to a resolution. Um, there's a lot of managers at the moment having to have difficult conversations with some team members that maybe aren't stepping up or being not difficult because sometimes you don't know what that their difficult situation at home is, but you know, from a manager's point of view you want to keep the business going and you need your team back to be able to do that. So whilst it is all about the team, if you've got no team coming back, you've got no business. Um, so you do sometimes have to make a difficult decision and those conversations need to be, okay, these are the needs of the business. I completely understand that your situation at the moment is this. However, I'm sure you can understand that you know if you don't come back, then we aren't able to be as productive. Therefore, losing money, can't, you know, we can't fulfil a contract. They have to understand the repercussions of their behaviour. Um, and if you can't reconcile that, then you do need to have that difficult conversation. And it's not, you're not being personal, you are, it is your job to manage the practice. Um, and it's really difficult because, you know, you're having difficult conversations with patients as well at the moment. You know, patients that want to come in and they're not priority because we've got patients in pain that needs to be seen still. Um, and they're being difficult. Um, you know, it's just learning to handle. Again, that's kind of something, I don't mean to plug <laughs> myself, this is some training that I do. Um, you know, with patients, you know, oh, I've been paying my plan for four months and you've not seen me, so I'm assuming I'm getting a refund. You know, and it's like, no. And it's just giving people them skills to actually be able to um, feel those calls and make the patient happy. I mean, uh, a lot of it comes from experience, but you can you can train people to have those skills quite easily, and they just need to find a conversation that suits them in a way to deliver it. Um, you know, we've got about fifteen hundred practice uh, practice plan patients, and we've only lost six Richwood so far. And we've had the phone calls of, I want to cancel my plan, I want to suspend my plan, and you know. 
sometimes a conversation does need to be we completely understand we're really sorry that you know you aren't able to stay um at the practice but we completely understand we'll cancel your membership and um hopefully you'll find a practice uh, that suits your needs better and they go whoa <laughs> i'm not leaving i just don't want to pay you and it's like it's kind of just learning those skills of how to not not sales skills the art of conversation I like the sound of more I think it's also you know from the patient's perspective they perhaps need to remember that if if there's no money coming into the practice there won't be a practice there to return to potentially exactly exactly and you know this is why it's so important you know in times of trouble you look at those that are loyal to you and so if you've been looking after those patients really really well you know they're not going to go anywhere for the sake of £15 a month, you know. Our patients, that when they come back, if they need anything, we will discount the equivalent of what they paid for those months. Um, so it's just, again, about the team communicating it. Um, if you're clear and honest and open, you know, we, we sent an email out to them a few weeks ago. People were kind of going, oh, I've got to wait another four weeks. And it's like, follow time is 60 minutes. We have to wait 60 minutes between each patient. If we were to work at even 50% what we did before, we'd need 24 rooms a day. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. And it's like, this is Public Health England. This isn't us being, no. you know, you know, we will, you know, our patients like, I want my brace defunding. It's done. Yes, okay, it may be done, but we're not able to do that at the moment. And, you know, this patient may owe us £3,000, which we'd really like, but we won't put wealth before health. Yeah. And I think when you explain that to a patient, you know, well, my sister went to a dentist and had these three fillings last week. And it's like, okay, well, can't comment on that. <laughs> However, we are doing um, our, you know, we're working within the guidance and the regulations and what Public Health England are telling us because we're not going to risk anything else because nobody knows nobody has any evidence at the moment about the fallow time or the AGP yeah. so until we do we're just going to do as we're told really I mean just just come at that from a different perspective my brother is actually a barber and he returned to work I think was at the beginning of July they were allowed to go back yeah. uh, obviously he, he's got to wear you know, a visor every day as well now um, but they've They've had to, where he works, they've had to put in a booking system. So it's booking only. You're only allowed in, uh, I think, just before your appointments. There's only, like, one person waiting at a time. Uh, and then the, they're having to kind of, I guess, severely limit the number of people they see because, again, they need the time to just clean everything down, the seat, all their tools, themselves, all the equipment. Um, so, again, they've had kind of people complaining, why well, is this, well, have I got such a long wait so I can book an appointment with you then? I used to be able to just walk in. And, and it's, it's for the same reason, it's for safety. And yeah, there have been other barbers, I think, in the area that have broken uh, the rules. Uh, yeah, so my brother's yeah. then trying to argue, well, no, stay with us because we're going to look after you properly. Um, and I, I mean... just like that, though. Patients see that. We've, we've been putting that in. Our messages out to our patients has been, your health and safety is paramount. We will not compromise on that, even if we have somebody shouting at us. Because... That's what we're doing. We've spent hours and hours, well, days and weeks doing our SAPs. 
and we just don't know it's such an unknown like your brother you know take my hat off to him for sticking to his morals um at a difficult time he'd love i'm sure he'd love to be able to double what he's taking Oh, definitely. I mean, during, during lockdown, there's all kinds. I mean, I think the, the owner of that business, I think even, you know, was, was I think, getting very frustrated uh, seeing other barbers, I guess, doing almost like, it was like an underground, you know, kind of back <laughs> back alley barber shop. Um, there was a lot of that going on. But as I say, I mean, you know, barbering, I mean, it's not even, I guess there's not even the same risk there, as you say, there is in a, in a dental practice. No, um, and... It's really frustrating because, you know, especially now, like, you can go into a pub. I have been to a pub, but I've sat outside, you know, it's kind of a not ready to go in one yet. Um, and everyone's to their own. But, you know, when you've got people going in pubs and they're not social distancing, and then they come to us, okay, so they've made an appointment. They've had an email with a patient portal attachment, and they've opened that portal and they've filled out the medical history, their GDPR consent, um, their COVID screening. Um, and then they've got a video attached to show them. We did a video to show them what happens when they come. They wait in the car. They then check in on their phone. We then text them when we're ready for them to come to the front door. They come to the front door, they get sterilised, they get the temperature taken, and they're escorted straight through to the surgery. The payment's already been done, and then they get back. So it's like complete lockdown, and then you go to the pub. (laughs) <laughs> it's very difficult <laughs> but yes you're right um different risk because obviously oral cavity that's where it's all coming from um and i do get confused it's just it'd be really nice if we were all kind of if the government made it all on the same page you know um as you say visors in in barbers or in hairdressers that i've seen um you know visors protect against splatter yeah. masks actually provide protect against the real risk I just don't I don't understand sometimes but we just I think as practices you've just got to have that you've got to stand firm with your moral compass no matter what other people are doing let them do what they want to do if it's right wrong or whatever as long as you know that you're doing what you were doing correctly you know you can sleep at night Oh no, not not in this heat. I should, I should say for anyone listening, we're we're recording this in in August during the height of the heat wave. Um, so yeah, last thing I wanted to ask you, Lisa, was um, obviously you know we're looking, everyone's reopened now. We're looking at bouncing back. I mean, what can uh, what can practices do to, uh, to to bounce back? Um, well, you know, from the practices that I'm speaking to, there is there is um in a lot of practices, there's quite a surge on new patients. Um, that's obviously partly because some haven't opened yet or opened at a very small capacity. Um, so, you know, those practices that have got their procedures working nicely, you know, take that opportunity to take those new patients. The trick at the moment um, and the difficulty is that you need that new business to move forward and to furlough more, to become more productive. But you've got your duty of care to your um, regular patients. Now, they're not, a lot aren't urgent because they're examinations. So practices have to be really careful not to do any, not to do any heavy marketing when you've got, you know, a few hundred patients that have been paying their plan and still not managed to get in. So it's very difficult. Um, and what I found has worked best is giving that message of, um, you know, the confidence message 
we're working really hard to make sure we can get through this quicker. We, um, we're ready to go to the next phase as soon as we're allowed to. Um, your health is, you know, um, most important to us. And, you know, health guides and advice sheets, the practices that are doing it really well are just constantly communicating. Um, and whilst that, you know, some people wouldn't think that that would necessarily draw in those new patients, but it does. Um, I think it's a good opportunity to um, review your finances. Um, you know, maybe some people have been um, reorganising their um, staff charts, you know, and finding out. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of people that have figured out the doers and the takers within practices. You know, those that step up and, you know, really help and those that clearly are clocking on clocking off and don't really care and it's fine if that's that's what you want in a practice you know um then that's fine but those practices that want to not just bounce back but bounce back higher need to take the opportunity to go right okay let's make some changes what weren't we happy with because this is a great time to change those things whether it's not closing at lunchtime so someone's constantly there to answer the phone not to miss those calls um even small things like if you've got somebody that's been an absolute pain in the backside for a long time you know you don't have to put up with that you didn't have to put up with that but if you are going to reorganize your organization it's a perfect opportunity so it's about having a, a bit of a fresh start kind of you know making sure you sort of go back to scratch and building it as you want it rather than what you maybe inherited or what you were putting up with so yeah I think if you're getting your processes correct, then the product will be fine. But some people are kind of looking at, oh, you know, we're only on 30, 40% productivity compared to before. It's like, well, look at your processes because if you get them right, you'll start moving up, you know, and it's, it's kind of trying to run before you can walk because it's not, and I hate this, I'm bored of it now, but it's the new normal, you know, um, but I prefer it was more of a new start. Yeah, that's a bit cheesy, that's a bit cheesy isn't it? You know what? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. I think. I think the old normal. I mean, who knows if we'll ever get back to that? But as you say, we we can restructure and we can do things perhaps better than we were before. Definitely, it's a brave new world. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, no, Lisa, thank you very much for joining us. I know you're kind of joining us during the middle of your day here, and uh, appreciate your time. No um, problem. But yeah, I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Obviously, you 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 know contribute to our magazine to the probe, so yeah. people can read what you have to say in there. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll be speaking again soon. Wonderful. Nice <laughs> to talk to you. Thanks, Lisa. Bye. The Probe Dental Podcast is presented by the Dental Awards. The Dental Awards is the original and most respected awards programme in British dentistry. 2021 marks the 22nd anniversary of the event, and over the decades it has recognised the outstanding individuals and teams whose commitment and drive continue to raise standards throughout the profession. The Dental Awards is attended each year by more than 600 clinicians, 
Winning or being a finalist is a tremendous accolade and provides a massive publicity boost to the profile of your practice and your team. After all, who wouldn't want to be treated by the dentist or dental team of the year? For more information about entering the 2021 Dental Awards, please visit theprobe.co.uk slash awards. That's T-H-E hyphen P-R-O-B-E dot co dot U-K slash awards.